And so before we continue to submerge into the inheritance, the depths of our inheritance, the epigraph of the study of the Word of God is Luke 24, 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I still spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled that are written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms. Although hell hindered has been in the way of the word of God being fulfilled everything still was fulfilled all of the prophecies about Christ were fulfilled and when they were fulfilled they were fulfilled not just for Christ but also us as well because Christ is the head of the church and so for us as the participants of the body of Christ to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in scripture we will continue our study of our collaboration with the truth of the word of God and with the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth that we have put into our heart by being instructed in the faith, revealing what we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way of life. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be made new by the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. We've noted and will continue to note that this place of scripture is the purpose and the calling of every individual person that is born from the seed of the word of truth. If a person that is born from God will not understand his calling, then he will perish. If maybe by chance he will be saved as something of an exception or mercy, because we build upon what is our hope to put off our former way of life that is to cast off of ourselves the old man with his deeds is the calling what good is it for man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul will not cast off of himself this old person I don't understand in what way people believe that they will inherit the kingdom of heaven not having changed and still continue to stay with their unchanged character. I talk to certain people uh, with different uh, servants in the churches and they tell me something like this. Only one that is uh, imperfect, only the grave will fix. And so, if you notice, the character of a man does not become better, it becomes worse, and you begin to see it even more as people age, and it becomes more difficult. To fulfill this given commandment, which explains our primary calling, we see three destiny-affecting, commanding, and fundamental acts that we must do, put off, be renewed, and put on. We've noted that it is specifically specifically our decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that will determine whether we transform ourselves into the vessel of mercy or vessel of wrath. And so, again, put off the old person, be renewed, or renew the, our mind by the spirit of our mind, and put off the 
put on the new person. This will determine whether we transform ourselves into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath, or more specifically, with the achieving of our salvation stand, will it stand or happen that is given to us in the format of a guarantee or our investment, as it were. If we don't invest it, turn it to profit, we will lose it forever, which will then result in our names being forever blotted out of the book of life, although they may have been written there at one time. This is unfortunate, but this is what happens with many Christians that are buried, that are sent to heaven, but they go to hell, because God is vigilant over His Word. If He said that nothing that is defiled or corrupt will not enter in, and if a person, whatever reasons he may have to pervert the truth and considered a commandment which was not a commandment, bearing children is not a commandment of God. To bear children is just a blessing. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He did not command them to be fruitful and multiply. He gave this as a blessing, as a hunger, a hunger to be a father or mother. And God fulfills or quenches this hunger by uh, having children. God bears children. He, desiring so, bore us. He wanted children in families to be born by the desire of a parent if a child is born not uh, by desire but by religious commands uh, in the churches you can't desire a child every single year where uh, you're pregnant every single year all the time you just bear and bear and bear children this is not possible and so then children are born how? rejected I tell you this as someone who knows this well, not because I was rejected by my parents, but because people come to me, all children, in families, families of many children, and say they have been rejected. Their parents don't love them, but I know that their parents do love them, but they don't believe that genetically it's put in as not not being loved. Why? Because when they were conceived, they weren't wanted. They came not wanted into the world. That is the problem. Not desired, not wanted, not expected. They were waiting for them with fear and so forth. I just came, uh, just brought, explained this a little further, that if Christ blessed people with bread and when there were 12 basketfuls remaining, he said, uh, finished he didn't say finish them he said uh, actually overeating is sin overeating is sin and so when we receive blessing and with this blessing we eat it doesn't it doesn't matter what blessing it may be but when there's too much of it a blessing is you you don't need to serve them because when, when you do you sin and so look at what where people will go they don't trust that they've received justification freely by grace I bear children I I once told you I asked the wife of one Episcopal we were I knew each other since a, a from a young age we knew each other and I asked her how are you being saved how are you confident that you will be saved she said, I bear children. And I told her, what about your husband? 
well, with sweat. He, it says, work with the sweat of your face. And so if your husband is saving himself with sweat and you with children, then why did Jesus come? Why did he come? If you can just be uh, saved by working in the sweat of your face and bearing lots of children. And so when the husband heard this, he said, don't listen to him. Don't listen. You automatically have salvation. No one has salvation automatically. Salvation is received upon God's conditions as a gift of his grace. And then receiving it in the format of guarantee, in the form of a seed, the seed won't save it if save you if you will not grow it in the Eden of your heart into the fruit of righteousness. It will not save you. This is a guarantee. And so when you give a guarantee for a house you purchase, if you uh, don't bring in that down payment uh, that they desire, you won't be able to purchase the house. Uh, because if all that you gave is that down payment, the house will not... Uh, will not uh, pay for the full house. That's just the down payment. And so if you you don't continue the payments and finish it within an agreed time frame, then you will lose it all. And so we are called to save our souls, but we're saving the world. And think that saving the world, we are saving ourselves. We are earning not just salvation, but also uh, thanksgiving that will be given to us as people think. Christ said, do not be deceived. If you obtain the whole world but lose your soul, you will go to hell. And so in a specific format, we together have studied the first two questions and have been studying the third question, what specific conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. Relevant to this, we stop to study the mystery that is contained in the format of an allegory in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom that and authority that he alone has, reveals the demands in this magnificent allegory according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High. The name of God El Elyon in Hebrew is God Most High. The essence of this condition consists in this, that in the circumstances of our hardship, when we are putting off the old man, we can call upon the Most High, ask to our God, and confess the faith of our heart, saying, Who God is for us in Christ Jesus. And so we collaborate our faith with who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are to God in Christ Jesus, and what do we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and all-capturing examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and God Most High and their violent conflict with the carnal mind in the form of King Saul and governing sin, in the form of our of our old person with his deeds, who supports our carnal mind, to then erect within our mortal body the stronghold of eternal life and clothe our mortal body into the imperishable pearl of the fruit of righteousness. And this is grown by us in the Eden of our heart. In our body, there are three kings that fight for the 
control of our body, the battle is upon the territory of the heart. The heart is the field upon which there is a battle between three kings, the carnal mind, reigning sin, the old person, and the new person that possesses the mind of Christ. And of course, those people that begin to understand that and allow this process of undressing themselves into the old person, this is the most difficult moment in time. This is where a person begins to uh, scream to God, call to God, and sees that there's nothing he can do with himself, that lust takes control and chokes him and kills him, and he's not able to confront it, he's a slave to it. And so a religious person, a carnal person, doesn't understand that. His lusts are not choking them, them, but they actually assist him in serving God. This lust, instead of uh, clothing him in all kinds of sins, actually clothes, clothes this person into work or activity that he is not called to do, that God did not call him to do, to good, doing good work, evangelizing, practicing spiritual gifts. And these people, for a long period of time, can pray, they can uh, demonstrate many things as and uh, there's nothing else to see but those things and when they say what's inside of us they laugh at us they said oh well we didn't know that this lives in you that this hell this uh, hell this old person lives in you we don't have this of course this is unfortunate in its character, the prayer psalm of David, as we've noted, contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of legitimate prayer that belongs to us as kings, priests, and prophets. And again, I shall remember, I shall remind us that the virtue of a king consists in our mind being renewed by the spirit of our mind, which gives us the power to the right to control the emotional aspect that is in our body and put them under the bridle as a horse of battle. In scripture, such animals as a horse, a donkey, a camel, they represent our body, our emotion. The virtue of a priest gives us the power to the right to approach God as a, as a warrior in prayer so that we can perform legitimate intercession for the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ so that we can fulfill our calling. To fulfill our calling, you need to be a priest. The virtue of a prophet gives our new person the right to enter into the Holy of Holies or the Devere. This is so that we can hear the voice of God at the mercy seat within our heart and therefore give God the proper foundation to hear the voice of our intercessions so he can respond to us. And of course, these are people that have built themselves into the temple of God with all of its belongings, with all of its instructions, that has the golden ark of the covenant, who has the golden uh, table of showbreads, that has the lamp, that has the bronze sea, the bronze altar, that has bronze uh, wash. Uh, baths uh, in order to prepare their prayer properly because an offering is a prayer and it needs to be prepared. Uh, <clears throat> the altar is the goal that God has for us. And so we ourselves are the altar. These are our goals and our offerings are the prayers that we prepare from prayer words. And we 
do this so that we can remove any kind of uh, foreign elements of the flesh because uh, the flesh always tries to put something else into it of its own that God did not give. It doesn't want to agree that with what God has given to her and what he's called it to. First part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer, which is the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer belonging to kings, priests, and prophets. Speaking of David, we're talking about every one of us, of us individually. Second part opens up the consistency of the legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis to deliver David from the hands of all of his enemies, as well as all of us the hand of Saul and reigning, the hand of reigning sin in the body. Third part illustrates the prayer battle itself in an epic way, which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind. In the previous services, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer that is made by a warrior in prayer, utilizing the eight names of God Most High. That is El Elyon. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 4. Eight names of God. The Lord, my strength. Every time I remind us of these names, when we pray to God, we need to name Him with His names. We need to call Him by His names, who God is for us. When we just say, Lord, 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 you see that you are using this name in vain. You have nothing to say, and you just keep including, uh, just put uh, repeating that same uh, name. It becomes an idle word. Don't speak the Lord's name in vain. You say it because you have nothing else to say. Memorize these names, specifically these eight names, and every time you pray, uh, say, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock as the rock of Israel in whom I take refuge. You are my shield. You are my shield from evil uh, darts of the wicked one or arrows of the wicked one. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. You say who state who God is for you, uh, stating these names, listing them. You say who he is for you and what he's done for you. And so in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already studied in Jesus Christ, our inherited lot, in the power of four names of God, Most High. And these are my strength, my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, and stopped to study the name of God, Rock of Israel. Prior to David going the way of all the earth, he, in his last words, magnified God using his name, Rock of Israel. Specifically, these, this was the last name that he magnified when, before he went to the way of all the earth, he, he died. In the power of which God made a covenant with God, an eternal covenant that is sure and eternal. Here, this rock of Israel. These were the last, na- last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and his word was on my tongue. 
The God of Israel said, The Rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining of after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Second Samuel 23, 1-5 We... He uh, explained the the power contained in this name, Rock of Israel, what God has done for him in this name. The name of God, Rock of Israel, identifying the nature of the Most High and the character of His Word, belongs to the lot of warriors in prayer exclusively, specifically to kings, priests, and prophets. In Hebrew, the name contains the following unearthly virtues, as sharp end or edge of a cliff, stone, a stone defense, blood, the shadow of a cliff, victorious, elephant tusk, elephant ivory, from which we are called to build a throne for the Holy Spirit within our heart, eternal governing, the promise of imperishable food, the comfort of peace. First, we will remember that the existing nature of prayer where David confesses his lot contained in the eight names of God Most High means that the given prayer comes from his heart and is made within the boundaries of the eternal covenant that is sure and eternal made between ourselves and God because the number eight is the number of a covenant. Secondly, the given prayer is presented in the format of a strategic teaching, which is called to be our calling and royal garments, so it can clothe us as warriors in prayer into the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets who are anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring about governance over their mortal body in order to adopt it by the redemption of Christ. Third, in the given prayer, the eight names contain in themselves the consistency of all of the names of God. These names exist in a surprising balance one with the other, and they are dissolved in one the other and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Considering such a necessary tandem or such a union of God with man, to clothe our mortal body into the pearl nacre of immortality, it becomes vital for us to identify within each aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of man in order to not uh, confuse the two roles. As a common tragedy, the majority of Christian people, due to their ignorance, which is a result of their stiff neck, are inherently attempting to fulfill the role of God. This is to their own destruction. The reason is because when you fulfill the role of God, you present yourself as God. And for this purpose, to differentiate our role from God's role, we came to the necessity to study four classical questions. What characteristics and categories identify our inherited lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What purpose, as it relates to achieving our salvation, in the foundation of which lies the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ, is our inherited lot called to accomplish in the name of God, Rock of Israel? Third, what price do we need to pay to provide God a proper foundation to be our rock of Israel, to achieve the salvation of our soul, given to us in the seat of the kingdom of heaven, in the format of a guarantee? And fourth, by what results do we determine that God is truly our rock of Israel, as it relates to the achieving of our calling, consisting in the adoption of our body, by the redemption of Christ? 
Therefore, only having grown the tree of life within the Eden of our heart as the fruit of a wholesome tongue, as it is written, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, Proverbs 15.4, a person becomes a partaker of the good wife. Some people think it's there in heaven that we will go there, the tree of life will be there. No, it says here that the tree of life is your wholesome tongue. No wholesome tongue, no tree of life. And so then you don't have then the right to salvation. Your name will be blotted out of the book of life. If you don't grow the tree of life and the fruit of a wholesome tongue, your names will then be blotted out and mine if I don't do so. Because a person then becomes, who grew grew this tree of life, becomes a partaker of the good wife, due to which the grace of God begins to rule in his heart. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5, 21. In other words, saying, grace can only govern within the heart of a man when he turns to profit the guarantee of his salvation that is given to him or the seed he begins to grow it and when the seed dies and it dies when when we begin to cast off the old person physically from ourselves then we die for our nation the house of our father and for our corrupt desires this is when the seed dies and then it rises in in a new form and when it rises in a new form you see it in fruit when you show the seed of a of a watermelon or apple and you don't know what kind of fruit comes from that seed uh, you say well I don't know what fruit maybe it's a very small seed and you don't know where it's from but it can be it it can turn into a tree uh, this seed has a program but for this program to begin to function or work it needs to be turn to profit, the guarantee, turn to profit, the seat needs to die. A person refuses to acknowledge that in him something lives that isn't good, and he thinks that as soon as he received salvation, he received Christ into his heart. That is how he's taught. No, you have not received Christ into your heart when you received salvation. You received the guarantee of salvation. You receive Christ into your heart when you die, when you Uh, plant the seed and it dies when I was crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me when will Christ be placed into our heart when we are crucified with Christ when I know the teaching about the truth of the cross of Christ when I know what my cross is and what the cross of Christ is Christ said it directly if someone will not take up his cross and follow me he can't, can't be my disciple he can't collaborate with me we will remember that only a person that thirsts to hear the word of God invests time to this word lives by this word abides in this word and the word of God abides in him will be able to continue to stand in battle against the ancient serpent and escape deceptive nets of the devil in order that is in sermons of the emissaries of mammon that are filling the churches unfortunately in order to inherit salvation of his body by the redemption of Christ in a specific format we have already studied the essence of the first two questions in the previous services we studied the first two so we will turn our attention to question three this is the condition that gives the Holy Spirit the right foundation to lead us into the inherited lot that is contained in the name of God rock of Israel the essence of the third question what price needs to be paid so that we can provide God a proper foundation to be our rock of Israel. 
Since the first four of the components of the price provided, providing God with the right foundation to be our rock were already studied by us in the previous services, we will immediately pay attention to the fifth component of the price. That gives This consists uh, of giving God the proper foundation to be our rock. It is our obedience to the command of God to build an altar to the Lord on a rock uh, on a rock in Ophrah of the Abba's rights. And so, in order to uh, have God be our rock of Israel, we need to build an altar on a rock in Ophrah of Abba's right. And for this ha- to happen, we first need to destroy the altar of Baal that was built by our fathers upon the top of a rock in Ophrah of the Abba's rights. Judges 6, 1 through 40, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was when whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of their of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the hand of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave your land you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Typically, the uh, Wheat was uh, processed, or they, they worked it in the threshing uh, mills, but here he, used, he did it in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. 
If you can imagine how much time Gideon needed. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread. He needed to prepare the dough. He needed to bake the breads. He needed to uh, slaughter the goat, prepare, cook all of this. So he uh, went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Alas means I will perish. But the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace or Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. <laughs> to this day, it's st- it is still an in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. He needed to uh, know the order in which an altar is to be built. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it, by day he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son. that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. You see what his father says next. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning, for for he, he is a god. Let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abizrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So Gideon said to God, If you, have, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, 
Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece and a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. But let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only. He's not saying he's testing God. He wants to test the fleece, specifically. He wants him to perform a test this on the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Judges 6, 1 through 40. We will be studying the given event in our own essence or within the inside of our heart and the essence of Zion, which is the chosen by God remnant. First, we need to pay attention to the tactic of the Midianites, Amalekites, and the and the people of the east, into whose hand God gave the Israelites, because they worshipped Baal, which was evil in the eyes of God. It's interesting, right? They did not kill anyone. They did not take anyone as a slave. They came into the land of Israel only during the time of the harvest and walked among them. They would encamp against them and destroy everything that they grew from the earth as far as Gaza. They did not leave Israel any food, no sheep, no oxen, no donkeys. This is the only situation where so many people would come and they did not fight against them. They didn't kill anyone. They didn't take anyone as a, as, a, as a slave. They came as a picnic. They would gather all of the harvest and ate it, fed their animals. Uh, this tactic of the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the east made the Israelites hide in dens, caves, and strongholds in the mountains, where we see the power of God in His name, Rock of Israel. Second, considering the fact that this event happened during the time of the harvest, the symbol of this event is to be perceived as the signs of the last times, where the chosen by God remnant will perform a total sanctification with the goal of total dedication to God, which will give God the proper foundation he needs to separate the weeds from the wheat. Why did the angel of the Lord not come to the priest who was serving in the tabernacle of Moses in in Salaam, but to Gideon, a regular Israelite who was from a small tribe that is an Ophrah of the Abizrites? The answer is this, for God to find the proper foundation he needs so that he he can show mercy to the repenting Israelites. They did call to God. They began repenting. He needed a person that would stand in the breach for the land of Israel. And so again, he didn't come to the priest, he came to a regular Israelite. Why did he do this? He needed a person who would stand in the breach for the land of Israel. And it wasn't one of the priests that ended up being that person, but Gideon, who lived in Ophrah of the Abizrites. He was called by the name of his forefather, the line that Joash, his father, came from. And so Ophrah... The Abizrites, this was the forefather of Gideon. Abizra was the patriarch. He was the father of. So I saw a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Ezekiel 22, 30, 31. But thank, be, thanks be to God, he found someone in the situation, Gideon. 
Ophrah of the Abizrites was a small settlement from the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Ophrah means the house of ashes. This meaning contains humility that brings about the grace of God. As it is written, uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5, when people uh, fasted, they would put ash on their head. If you remember when uh, God said, see how Ahab humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his day. And so the house in this place uh, that they lived, Ophrah, this was a house of ashes or the place of ashes. The name Abizir means my father is help. The name Gideon's or the name of Gideon's father, Joash, means Yahweh has given. At the same time, the name Gideon means called to destroy and break into pieces. And so we see here three names. Therefore, all these definitions together, Ophrah, Abizir, Joash, and Gideon, means humility demonstrated in hope upon the help of the Father is the gift of the grace of God called to destroy the stronghold of death within our bodies that that upon the ruins of death erect the stronghold of life. What is the stronghold of life or the stronghold of death? This is the altar inside of us. It is called the stronghold because that their God and upon this altar the devil also has his altar that's the altar of Baal considering that the Midianites are the descendants of Lot the Malachites are the descendants of Esau the son of Isaac and the people of the east are the descendants of Abraham that were born from Hagar and Keturah we can conclude that the Midianites the Malachites and the people of the east are unclean thoughts and corrupt desires within our body that are being supported by the old person. Gideon is the symbol of the sacred person who is called to break into pieces the altar of Baal so that he can erect the altar of the Lord in its place. Baal represents the stronghold of the old person that lives within our body. Threshing wheat in the wine press is a symbol of sanctification where we condemn our unclean thoughts and corrupt desires which provides God with the proper foundation he needs to make a covenant of peace with us. And so threshing, when the wheat uh, is separated from the chaff, building the altar of in Ophrah of the Abizrite, called Yahweh Shalom, is making a covenant of peace with God, which is eternal, sure, and forever, where the grace of God receives the proper foundation to take the throne within our heart by the righteousness of our faith leading us to eternal life, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.21 Enthroning the grace of God when building the altar in Ophrah of the Abizrites gives us power to destroy the altar of Baal upon the rock belonging to our Father. This is a symbol of destroying and condemning hope upon perishable or physical wealth. Third, we need to pay attention to one important circumstance in the given situation in order to destroy the altar of Baal that belonged to Joash, the father of Gideon. He needed to use ten of his servants. We need to understand that it isn't Gideon that is a slave to the law but the law is a slave to Gideon. 
This is because Gideon is a symbol of the fruit of righteousness grown by his father Joash. Gideon is the fruit of his father, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, all of these fruits. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, 22-23. He is not under the guard of the law, but the law is under the guard of, of, of him, of Gideon. The phrase against such there is no law means that the fruit of the Spirit liberates us from the guard of the law. As it is written, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are... And so we are no longer under the law, but uh, the law is under us. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, for all of you means men, women, children, all of you are baptized in, who are in, baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Every time when scripture talks about sons or when the scriptures talk about brothers, then when it says brothers, it means and sisters also and children and everyone included because in Jesus Christ, when it says brothers, when it's sons, then this is the ability to confess the faith of the heart, the seed, the confessions of the faith of the heart. This is the function of the man, the male. But receiving the seed is the function of the female. All of us need to have both functions, need to be able to receive the seed of the word of God and then grow it and confess it so that it could become fruit. And in this way, these two functions need to be within us in our spirit. In Jesus Christ, there's no male or female gender. Fourth, we need to pay attention that for a burnt offering upon the altar of the Lord that is built by Gideon upon the top of the rock, he used two young bulls that did not belong to Gideon, but to his father Joash, the father of Gideon, which indicates the fact that Joash, as our new person by the way of growing the fruit of righteousness, is the symbol of the born to him Gideon, makes his call and election more makes his call and election more and more sure, which opens to him generous access into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember when they he said, bring out your son, we want to kill him. And he said, try, the one that will try will immediately be killed. I will kill him. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do not do these things, you will never stumble. For so as entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.10.11 The altar that is built by Gideon to the Lord upon the top of the rock and offering of the two young bulls that belong to his father Joash is a symbol of the fruit of righteousness in our trust upon imper- imperishable wealth. Trust in imperishable wealth which is building yourself into an altar of the Lord upon the heights of the rock gives God the proper foundation to turn his hand against our oppressors and when the men of the city arose early those 
These men are the worshippers of Baal. In the morning there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which has been built. So they said to one another, and one another who has done this? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because the fruit of your womb, bring him out, the fruit that is grown by you. He needs to die, because he destroyed the altar of Baal. You see, we will not be able to destroy the altar of Baal unless we grow the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of righteousness. We need to, the seed of salvation that we receive, we need to grow it into the fruit of life. He needs to die, they say, because he destroyed the altar of Baal and because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that he was bes- that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Specifically by the means of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, our new person as Joash destroyed the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. By the means of fruit, the confessions of our mouth, from you, by your mouth you will be condemned and justified. The, his confessions were Gideon, which were the fruit born from him, and he destroyed the writing of requirements that was against us. He destroyed Baal and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made a life together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it Colossians 2.13-15 through 15, when he had destroyed the altar of Baal he, he chopped down the tree he destroyed, wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against him. Because Christ for himself won't do this if you will not participate, will not collaborate with him, if you will not be in Christ, if the fruit will not be brought. The fruit can be brought only upon the vine. Fifth, we need to pay attention to the strategy of Gideon, who led the army of Israel, which he set up against the enemies of Israel, who destroyed the harvest of the Israelites. The strategy consisted in the sign, the fleece of wool on the threshing floor, which is the place where by the method of tossing or winnowing of the wheat, it is cleansed from the chaff, just as John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so the threshing floor is a symbol of the church of Jesus Christ. This threshing floor is the threshing floor of the Lord. He has cleansed his threshing floor. He won't be cleansing a foreign threshing floor, but his church. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins, so to deliver us from our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, so that we can serve Him in holiness all the days of our life. The sheared woolen fleece is a symbol of death for sin that Gideon, as our new person, carried in himself, so that the life of Jesus 
because when the the wool is sheared, what's separated from the body was no longer living. It is a symbol of the dead deadness to sin. Every time a person sanctified himself, he needed to remove all the hair on his body and shave all of it and wash his body with water, then he was uh, clean. And so the sheep are a symbol of thoughts, and so this carnal uh, mentality or thoughts were eliminated. Wool was removed from this, this, fl- this uh, wool was removed, and he sees the sign of his, his uh, carnal thoughts dying or, or being eliminated because in this sheared woolen fleece he is the death of Jesus Christ when you kill in yourself the old person the, the carnal mentality you carry in yourself the death of Jesus Christ how do you carry the death of Jesus you eliminate the carnal mentality, discipline your mind, and meditate about the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh or the world, so that the life of Jesus can be revealed within our mortal body. Why? So that the life of Jesus can be revealed in our body. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Second Corinthians 4.10 And so the sheared woolen fleece that was laid out by Gideon on the threshing floor indicates that in his spirit, he, by the death of the Lord Jesus, died for the law by the law so that he can live for the one that died and resurrected. The strategy with the sign of the wool that was called to confirm victory for Gideon over the enemies of Israel consisted of two acts. The symbol of the threshing floor upon which the wheat was cleansed from the chaff is the body of Christ that is the chosen by God remnant. At the same time, the symbol of the wheat is the fruit of righteousness that is grown by us in the Eden of our heart. The water that at the beginning was only on the fleece and afterwards only on the ground symbolized the resurrection of life. Therefore, when on the laid out upon the threshing floor sheared woolen fleece, there are droplets of dew and upon the land it was dried, then the sign... This sign indicates the erection of the stronghold of life within our body. This is what it indicated when it, the droplets were only upon the wood, uh, woolen fleece. That means we carry the deadness of the Lord in us. But when upon the threshing floor, upon all the land, there was dew, but on the sheared woolen fleece, there was none, it was dry, then this sign indicates the clothing of our body into the resurrection of Christ. Because the threshing floor is the body of Christ and being partakers of the body of Christ. And so when the water was, the dew was everywhere, but not on the fleece, this was a double, uh, pretty much sign that the stronghold of life is erected in you and that you've been clothed into that stronghold. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that's the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 2, 14, 15. What an interesting uh, sign that was given to Gideon in order to have the power of the rock of Israel in us. Sixth, component of the price that gives God the proper foundation to be our rock of Israel consists in demonstrating our all-devouring zeal for God to complete the long journey to the Rocky Mountain Horeb. 
And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him, that's Elijah, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too, too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days, 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why have you come here, pretty much? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after, that means it will come from me, but I will not be there. But I will not be there, because when the temple was built, there was noise and saws and it was from the Lord but the Lord wasn't there and so when the noise finished and so when the temple was finished then the Lord came there and was there then there was quiet then there was silence I'm just showing examples here and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? First Kings 19.7-13 First, the essence of the given total sanctification pursuing the goal of total dedication to God we are to look at in the entrails of our sacred person. Second, the essence of the given total sanctification pursuing the goal of total dedication to God, we are called to look at them in the midst of the chosen by God remnant. If we will look, we'll be looking at the given event out of the boundaries of our heart and out of the boundaries of the temple, that is, the worshippers of God, we will not have any opportunity to achieve the format of the given sanctification that is called to become a price, giving us the power to the right to enter into the inheritance of our lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel. In the, in the given event, the price paid for the power to the right to inherit our inherited lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel, consists in our zeal for God, demonstrated in completing a, a total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication to God that is presented in four sequential components. First, component of the price of our total sanctification in the given event, giving us the power to the right to inherit your our inherited lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel, consists in a verdict for the king Ahab that in the coming years there will not be dew or rain, but only at our word. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which is which flows into the Jordan, and it will be at that 
that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. First Kings 17, 1-6 the other name of Prophet Elijah, the Tishbite, comes from the name of the city Tishbe, which was on the eastern shore of the Jordan, where Elijah was born and lived. And as we are studying this event first as something in our own heart, the symbol of Elijah in the given event is our sacred person that has grown into, into a perfect man, into full measure of growth in Christ. The full measure of growth in Christ consists in our zeal that is supposed to reach such a level that we are ready to accomplish a total sanctification with the goal of total dedication to God in order to challenge the intelligent aspect of our soul that is King Ahab and the corrupt desires of our soul, which is Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. Practically, the famine that continued for three years and six months was called to humble the intelligent abilities of our soul, that is Ahab, by submerging them into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to deliver us from the dependence of the corrupt desires, that is Jezebel. Ahab will be saved. Elijah told, uh, God told Elijah, go and tell him, I will not bring calamity in your days. See how he has humbled himself before me. But the wife of Ahab, she will be thrown to the dogs. And they will eat her. And when they come there, there will be just a head and a few other parts left of her. And this is because Jezebel, because of her command to kill the prophets, the dogs will eat and drink her blood because... Of, because of her command, she killed uh, uh, the prophets. Here, so we're looking at this event here. Or do you not know that as many as of of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we we should no longer be slaves of sins, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Romans 6, 3-7 Therefore the symbol of the king of Israel, Ahab, in the given event, is the intelligent aspect of our soul that is being controlled by the corrupt lusts of the flesh in the symbol of his wife, Jezebel. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no, no adulteress, though she has married another man. <clears throat> Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who, has, who was raised from the dead, that he, we should bear fruit to God. Romans 7, 1 through 4. We see here how our mind, our carnal mind, needs to die so that it can marry another, so that it can become subject to our spirit. 
born from God's Spirit. The name Elijah means my God is Yahweh. The name Ahab means all of him in his father. The name Jezebel means unbearable. Interesting meaning. And if the intelligent aspect of our soul as King Ahab needs to be saved and kept, then the corrupt desires of the soul supported by our old person need to be destroyed. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. <clears throat> and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. First Kings 21, 23 through 29. What goal in the given component of sanctification did God pursue within our heart, the famine that continues three years and six months? First, the famine that continues for three years and six months in the given component of sanctification is presented in the first part of the week mentioned in the book of Daniel or the part of the night where the ten virgins representing the kingdom of heaven went to sleep. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Daniel 9.27 The prophets of Baal were uh, destroyed by Elijah. He killed, he killed them, if you remember. Second, the famine that continues three years and six months in the given component of our sanctification is not the hunger for bread and thirst for water, not the hunger for bread or thirst for water, but thirst for listening to the word of God. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst, those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall the never and never rise again. Amos 8, 11 through 14, these are people who forgot their calling to cast off their old person, renew their mind, and put on the new person. Third, the famine that continues for three years and six months in the given component of sanctification was called to give God the proper foundation he needs to hide us by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan so that he can drink from it, and so the raven can feed us with bread and meat in the morning and evening. Cherith is a tributary to the Jordan falling into the river 12 kilometers to the southeast of Bethsana that was taken from the Philistines by David. The name of the city consists of two words. Beth is city, San is a virtue or dignity. Therefore, the name of the city, Bethsan, means the city of virtue. Jordan, with all of its tributaries, is a symbol of the death of Jesus Christ, submerging into 
into it by the means of baptism, we die for our nation, the house of our Father, and for our corrupt desires of our soul, which gives us the opportunity to share with Christ in His resurrection. The raven that fed Elijah at the brook Cherith is a clean bird because God did not create anything unclean. Clean for God, clean for kings, priests, and prophets, but not clean for everyone else. And so for the man that does not possess the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet, a raven is an unclean bird. In essence, the symbol of the raven that fed Elijah at the brook Cherith with meat and bread in the morning and in the evening is a symbol of the Thummim as the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ and the symbol of the Urim as the Holy Spirit revealing mysteries in the heart of a man contained in the truth of the Thummim. The black color of the raven whom God commanded to feed the prophet Elijah at the brook Cherith presented by the Holy uh, Truth that promotes judgment, that gives the Spirit of God peace. The black color is a color of holiness. Then I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains. We're talking about the power of God that is contained in the name of God, Rock of Israel. Then I turned and raised my my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze, with the first chariots... Uh, were red horses, with the second chariots black horses, with the third chariots white horses, and with the fourth chariots dappled horses, strong steeds. And I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are those, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the the Lord of the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. And so they come out as saints. And so saints will be these four spirits. They will uh, hold this program in themselves. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going after them and the dappled are going toward the south country. Then the strong steeds went out eager to go that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, go walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called it to me and spoke to me saying, see those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. And these were black horses that went to the north. And so when we will be such people that will be able to pour out our rains and shine our sun uh, upon the righteous and unrighteous, pouring out wrath upon the unrighteous, And so the four spirits of heaven and the heart of man presented in the four chariots that are hinged with horses of different color called by God to walk the earth or to perform total sanctification of the spirit, soul, and body. This is a unified symbol of the elementary teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth in our heart. The black horses that went to the northern country present within our heart the holiness of the Lord in the work of the teaching about the baptisms, where we in the death of Jesus Christ die for our nation, the house of our Father, and for our corrupt desires of our soul, and in this way bring 
his spirit peace. Therefore, the meat that the ravens fed Elijah by the word of the Lord at the brook of Cherith is a symbol of being nourished by the broken body of Christ. Being fed with bread is a symbol of being nourished by the bread of life. Therefore, to drink from the brook of Cherith and to eat meat and bread that is brought by the ravens means eat the body of the Son of God and drink his blood. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his his blood, you have no life in yourself. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, nor as your fathers ate the manna and are dead he who eats this bread will live forever john 6:53 through 58 when god split the birds animals beasts and fish into clean and unclean categories he wanted to show man his holiness in his in this split that only a man that belongs to the family of aaron can eat as the table of showbreads and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, For every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Genesis 2, 16, 17. Considering the uh, flesh state of Adam and Eve in this commandment, God wanted to show His holiness that He needed to honor uh, they needed to honor God by not eating of the tree. Following this commandment would have given the person the opportunity to eat of the tree of life. If the first person in the beginning would have eaten the fruit from the fruit of the tree of life, and for this reason, it was necessary uh, for his uh, carnal essence to end and become spiritual, that would give God the proper grounds to then allow God to share with this person as he did with the nation of or the 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 people of the line of Aaron that when he trusted them and allowed them to eat of the showbreads the commandment of tithes was fulfilled by Abraham Isaac and Jacob and later found itself in the law of Moses in the commandment of tithes and offerings uh, and it was always the holiness to the Lord fulfilling this commandment first of all was the food of God that honored him. Second, it allowed God or gave God the proper grounds to open up the windows of heaven to pour out upon us his blessings. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from me, from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Malachi 3, 7 through 10. Fulfilling the commandment in bringing God your tithes, we in this way demonstrate God's holiness, and in this way the unclean bird that then is a symbol for us of the holiness of God, separating then the birds, the animals, the beasts into clean and unclean groups. He wanted to show the pure state in his spirituality, in his spirit. A person that is of the flesh is always unclean because he's in in ignorance of God's holiness and his truth. He's not able to differentiate what is true and what is a lie. He's not able to refuse the evil and choose the good. 
During the time when Noah and his sons came out of the ark of out of the ark, they were in the eyes of God pure. Being in the ark was the symbol of being in the death of the Lord Jesus. Coming out of the ark was being in his resurrection, which then moved them from the state of, of a carnal body into a spiritual one. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of, of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all that moves on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its, with its life, that is, its blood. Genesis 9, 1 through 4. Noah and his sons were very well un, uh, they understood the difference between clean and unclean animals and to differentiate the two they were an example for them as to how they need to behave before God to be pure that's what Apostle Paul writes receive one who is weak in the faith but not to dis- not to dispute over d- doubtful things for one believes he may eat all things but he who is weak eats only vegetables let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him I know I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him who considers anything to be unclean to him it is unclean Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 1-17. And so identifying or identifying the behavior of the nation of Israel which was unclean and was carnal in the eyes of God we see to the pure all things are pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but even their mind and conscience are defiled they profess to know God but in works they deny him being abominable disobedient and disqualified for every good work Titus 1 15 16 amen let us bend our knees and pray and we shall thank God for the word that we were able to receive today in order to inherit the lot of the name of God, Rock of Israel. And may the Lord bless us in this prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you together with your people for the word that you have given to us and have showed us in your symbols, examples, our inheritance, our future hope. You've shown us what we need to do, what conditions we need to fulfill in order to cast off the old man with his deeds and to renew our mind by the spirit of our mind and to clothe our body into the pearl nacre of immortality. May your children be blessed and may they understand this word may they meditate in themselves about it and may they dissolve it by faith in their heart by thinking and meditating about it those that maybe in the cell groups that they attend may you be a blessing 
for them and they be a blessing for you. Thank you for this glory that we're able to stand upon all the works of the devil, all fear that may pursue us, all illnesses, all sins, and all dependences. May they be cursed before your face, and may we stand upon the neck of our enemy, and may your greatness be glorified in us and through us, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.